Carrie Peck, the elder law attorney who frequently joins us, joins us now. Hi, Carrie. Hello, John. How are you today? You want to say anything about IVF stuff? I hope that uh, <clears throat> Congress can pass a law to protect IVF. It's critically important to uh, families and has always been an important method of raising a family and yeah. having children. Yeah, and an ability to do so. I said, well, you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're an elder law attorney, so your clients tend to be people who are— describe for me your typical client, by the way. Uh, our typical client is is uh, aging. They're, they're uh, perhaps—well, uh, there's two typical clients. One is the children of the aging parent— People like uh, me. People like you. And the other is the parent themselves. So we often get calls from children that say, you know, my mom uh, has a will, uh, but she now needs to go into a nursing home. I don't have a power of attorney. They want me to, to uh, use the power of attorney to admit her to the nursing home. Mom has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, so that's often the children of aging parents call, and sometimes aging parents call uh, themselves and complain about their children stealing their money and uh, taking advantage of them. And then, you know, there's a whole segment of, of uh, financial exploitation cases that relate to older adults, unfortunately, being scammed. Romance scams are a big one these days. Um, and in addition, we deal with a lot of, of scenarios in which mom or dad is cognitively impaired. Often, as I mentioned, for Alzheimer's disease, we have to go into court uh, if there's no documentation. If you don't have a power of attorney for health care and you don't have a power of attorney for property, those are the two forms here in Illinois, it's going to be necessary if mom loses the mental capacity or dad to make decisions, we need to go into probate court and have them what's called adjudicated disabled and have someone, usually a child, named guardian and appointed guardian. So those are the, the kind of the broad uh, spectrum of, of cases that we're involved in every single day. And, of course, as we've mentioned before, uh, at the request of the American Bar Association, I've written two books on Alzheimer's disease, one for lawyers and one for non-lawyers. And uh, the American Bars contacted me. They're going to republish one, the second edition of one of those books. Yeah, I think they should. You know, my dad has dementia, and one of the things that we're discovering, it's not a switch where one day you're good and one day you're not. I mean, sometimes in the same conversation, he'll be very lucid and, and relaxed, and other times he'll be paranoid and angry. Um, but it's been a sort of gradual, you know, uh, progression into that state of mind. And I only bring that up because the idea that um, he would make decisions or ask for certain provisions uh, at this point in his life— um, might not, in our mind, be in his best interest or even make sense. But he also might actually be able enough to make those decisions on his own. You know, it's not clear. I don't know what a judge or a doctor would say about the need for us to honor his requests, because we could just as easily say, Dad, you know, you're not thinking straight. And he may say, oh, yes, I am. 
I'm sure you run into that sometimes. Every single day, John. And so at the end of the at the end of the day, you know, our we need to turn to qualified doctors to tell us if dad has the capacity to make those decisions and to execute documents that contain his wishes. And if he doesn't, then it's unfortunate. Okay, but what if we get to a point where the doctor says that and we say that, and then in a moment or a week of lucidity, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you guys doing here? I'm quite capable. And then that version of him emerges. But then it's too late, right? I mean, for his own sake, it's too late. But it's not like he gets a, a do-over, correct? No, I, 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 you know, as you pointed out, your father and, and everyone that's affected with cognitive impairment, unless they have generally a massive stroke or some other, you know, acute circumstance, the, the decline of their cognitive abilities is slow. And so it's always a question, does dad have the capacity to sign a power of attorney naming you, John, to make decisions for his medical care, end-of-life decision-making, the management of his assets when he's not able to make his own decisions? And so, again, we have to rely. I'm a a trained lawyer. I went to law school. I didn't go to medical school. I've learned a lot about uh, uh, Alzheimer's and cognitive impairment, but I have to rely on someone who's a board-certified, generally, psychiatrist to give me an opinion, or neurologist. And you and I frequently have a conversation like this about these sort of cognitive abilities. But uh, now here is a message I got that said, would you ask Carrie about special trusts to protect assets from Medicaid and who should do it? Uh, This is from somebody who is able and well now, but has also been diagnosed with something that will make them physically um, unable to do some of the things they're currently doing, and it's going to be very expensive. And I think this person is imagining a situation where he'll have to drain his assets before Medicaid kicks in. So he said there are regular trusts that you can set up, but there's also one that protects your family's assets should you need assisted living so you don't have to spend all of your money before qualifying for Medicaid. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yes, you're talking about Medicaid planning and the creation of typically an irrevocable trust to put your assets into that trust, and ultimately you can qualify for Medicaid. Now, I've said two sentences about it. It's a real complicated arena, and, and uh, you know your listeners need to understand that option exists, but it's a difficult uh, implementation. I think a lot of us would like to park our money somewhere that would then qualify us for Medicaid should we need it, and yet we would still retain our savings. Right. And so, you know, Medicaid will pay for, for basic care. You want to see if you can park that money in an irrevocable trust so that you can supplement your care with that money. So how do you qualify for an irrevocable trust? Well, you have to sit down with an attorney who knows what they're doing and, and, and get involved in this medication. But it would plan. seem to me like a doctor or somebody would say, yeah, this is necessary because you're going to have extraordinary expenses and not you just don't want to spend your money. Right. I mean, uh, I, I, maybe I won't have that condition down the road, but I'd like to park my money and save it for cruising or my kids. I agree. The, this, the Medicaid planning generally is done when people are cognitively intact. So we don't typically involve the medical profession at that stage in this type of planning, uh, unless there's, of course, a question as to whether the individual has the well, ability. Then shouldn't everybody make an irrevocable trust? Well, it's, uh, it, it, uh, everybody should consider it 
for purposes of Medicaid planning. But don't forget, if you're going into a Medicaid facility, John, the care you're going to receive is not going to be the best care that money can buy. Say that again. If you're going into a Medicaid facility right. and Medicaid is paying for your care. Oh. It is not the best care that money can buy. Okay, fine. So maybe I don't want that set up. But how about if I have an irrevocable trust, I park my money over here, now I need to live in some sort of facility. I'm not going to go to the Medicaid one you just described. I'm going to go to a nicer one, have Medicaid subsidize it with the other money that I've parked over here, and now I'm in a nicer place. Is that an option? It's possible. Yes, it's possible. But please, everybody needs to understand, there's a lot of steps to get to that point. 815 says, can you ask Carrie Peck, what is the difference between guardianship and conservatorship? The words are interchangeable. In California, uh, they use the word uh, conservatorship. In uh, Illinois, we use the word guardianship. 773 said, I took Carrie Peck's advice, and I'm working with an attorney at his firm for will preparation. Glad I went ahead and started the process. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Wonder how old these people are. Don't know, but I can, but I encourage your listeners plan, plan, and plan. You never know when you're going to be stricken with an acute stroke, a car accident, something that's going to take away the ability for you to do planning. I have more text messages from listeners the last time you were here, and maybe you've got a question or a comment. You can call or text right now, 312-981-7200-224 says, are revocable trusts better than wills? Well, they're different. Uh, the use of a revocable living trust is primarily designed to avoid a post-death probate estate proceeding. In Illinois, if we die with assets in our name alone in excess of $100,000, regardless of that asset, other than perhaps an IRA or 401k, the court law requires that we open a post-death probate proceeding. So the use of a revocable living trust is a probate avoidance mechanism right. to avoid that post-death proceeding. This is Irene with Carrie Peck. Irene, what can we do for you? You're on the air. Hi, I have a question. I have an uncle who is in an assisted living facility, and his wife passed away, and has, the wife had no trust or will, and the wife's sister left her some money. Now, what happens with does the money go to my uncle now that my aunt passed away and had no trust or will? How does that work? What happens now? Does it go to my uncle? I'm sorry, ma'am. The, the money was left by whom? How's the, how's the person that died that left the money related to your uncle? So the person who passed away was a was the sister of the person who passed away sister of your uncle's wife wife correct okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah he he should inherit some money i mean if yes. she, she he should inherit some court? money I mean, normal course of action. right wait wait so the I mean, so the so the wife dies her sister i guess previous to her death left her some money so it's, it's the wife's money. She passes away. Correct. But she passed away. But the, so husband gets, the, husband. the husband gets all of the money, right? He gets all of it unless they, they had with, children. Oh, what if they have kids? Yeah, then it's 50-50. Really? The, yeah. the husband well, gets half and yeah, the but, kids get half. But, of course, the question is, did the person leaving the money have a will or any uh, designation of beneficiaries? 
because she could have a will that says the husband gets 10% or the husband gets 100%. No, I don't, that I don't know. But you can no do idea. that. You can carve it out. But if not, then it's 50-50. 50-50, right. And it sounds like, as best you know, right, Irene, there, that didn't happen. So maybe the husband's going to get Correct. half and the kids from that couple, the wife now deceased, they'll, they'll split the other 50%. Right. Okay. So it should automatically go to the living, to the husband who's still alive. That's what uh, Carrie says. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank, thank you for thank your you. time. Thanks thank for the call. Look at me. I'm fielding questions here, Carrie. I'm, uh, I'm know, giving legal advice. That's all right. Mr. Peck is talking about an irrevocable trust. I know I have a trust, but are all trusts irrevocable? Absolutely not. A great question, John. The vast majority, probably 90% uh, or more, are revocable. An, a revocable trust means exactly what it says. You can change it, you can amend it, you can eliminate it. An irrevocable trust, once you sign, it really is irrevocable. Is your trust, etc., valid if you move from one state to another? In general, the answer is yes but you should consult with an attorney in the state you're moving to to see if there's any nuances or additional requirements to your documents. If I have a beneficiary on all of my assets, do I need a will? The answer is yes, but your assets will pass by the beneficiary designation because you need somebody to administer that the, the estate. You need an executor. That's going to be the person to administer your assets. Eileen is next. Eileen, you're on WGN with Kerry Peck. What can we do for you? I, um, I have a will and a trust, and um, I went to an attorney, and I wanted my grandchildren to have money for their education. But she seems to say no, that I should do give them money at certain ages of their lives just in case they get some kind of loans and stuff like that. I'm really not happy about that, but I think if she's an attorney, she knows what she's talking about. Okay, wait a minute. Um, you want to leave money? Your... Wait, so you want to leave the money when you when you die so that the kids will have money for their education? Is that right? Right, and she says don't do that. And she, and what is her suggested route for you to give them the money now? No, she says give them the money. When I pass away, my husband passes away, give them to them like at 18, 25, 35 different intervals of their life. Oh, I see. How much money are we talking about? Would it be a lot or would it be $10,000? So probably maybe $200,000. Okay. Oh, pardon me, you're still there. Uh, generally. I, I agree with the suggestion that's been made to you. If you give a $200,000 gift to an 18-year-old person, they're probably not rushing to use it for their college tuition. Uh, and it, it's You can not, specify that. You can specify it. but You can you say know. that here's uh, $50,000 for you to go to the University of Illinois, but you only get it as... Boy, then somebody's got to pay attention to this. Who would monitor the use of those dollars? The successor trustee that she names in her trust. Yeah, but the advice that she's getting generally to give it to them in increments over time. It's good advice. Okay, or I like my idea, or let them, of course, if the kid, hold on a second. Are you still there, Eileen? Hey, Eileen, are you still there? Yes. Um. You, <laughs> so you don't like the idea, though, of giving it to them incrementally, or at least you have questions about that, I, right? Yeah, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, I just don't know. 
I mean, I want to make sure that they have money for their education. You know, I mean, some of the money is going to go to my children as well, but a few hundred thousand will go to my grandchildren. I know that, but what I'm wondering is, but suppose the kid turns out to not be the stuff of college. That he's some right. kids. That's not the best choice yeah. for him. He's going to go into the navy. He's going to be a rich plumber. So, uh, would you still want that kid to get some money? Well, it's, yeah, I would, of course. Of course. So, so I, uh, I, Eileen, or I, I'm sorry, Irene. This is Eileen. Then I, then, uh, you know, you, who have you named a successor trustee after you and your husband pass away? My daughter and my son. Okay. So, and it's their children. Yes, it is. Okay. So, you know, I mean, you're putting the money in their hands as successor trustee, and uh, presumably you have faith and confidence that they're going to make the right decisions. But I agree with the notion of giving an 18-year-old $200,000 and saying, go use it on college. Uh, it's just, unfortunately, the risks are too high. They may go out and buy a Ferrari. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the call. Good luck to you. And how nice of you. Uh, 708, I made my will to give $100,000 to my sole grandchild, but now there are 10. I want it split equitably. What do I need to do now? Well, you got to change your will, right? Yeah, right. Change your will. You, you go to a lawyer and what's called a codicil, which is an amendment to the will, can be drafted to uh, provide for all 10 grandchildren. And then you give the most money to the grandkid that is the nicest to you and visits with you the most. And that one kid that never shows up or never says hello, they get nothing. How about that, Carrie? Well, I think that people should, uh, you know, use their money the way they uh, the way they want. And and clearly, the relationship is is awful important in deciding how much money, if any, to leave to them. Tom, well, there's a diplomatic answer, and I'm being silly. I'm glad you said that. Tom, you're on WGN. Thanks for the call, John. Yeah. Um, I have our house, our home, a townhouse, um, listed uh, uh, deed-wise, transfer upon death uh, to our uh, seven children. And so at the time, the the title is transferred to their death, which I'm told doesn't, uh, you know, uh, require probate. And then there's a, there's a, a thing that, the children, two, two of the children, uh, they can sell the prop, property and, and split the money. Is that uh, is that uh, feasible? I mean, transfer on, de- transfer on death is feasible. Do all seven children get along? Because after you're gone, I, I you know. Oh yeah, oh they do. Okay, they do. Wonderful. Well, we'll see how well I, they get along if the seven of them are going to split the asset, the house. So the transfer on death does work and avoids probate. There's the short answer. If you all have longer questions, and we've got a lot of text messages that are longer, we just don't have time to get to here, you can call Kerry Peck at his office, 312-201-0900, or click on peckritchie.com, 312-201-0900.